you, Brother Justin, for all of the pomp and circumstance. <laughs> no, uh, no, my birthday is a week to, uh, a week from tomorrow, so I do expect, as I said on Facebook, lots of pomp and circumstance and gifts and all sorts of things. So, just kidding. You don't have to give me anything, except my wife. She does, and my dad, and Julie and Jeremy. They all have to give me something. It's a requirement. Um, so I'm just going to get right into it. All right, here we go. Joe Wright was asked to do a benediction at the beginning of a house meeting in Topeka, Kansas on January 23rd, 1996. He was a pastor, and he was the guest chaplain for the day. What he chose to pray was a prayer of repentance. His prayer uh, created quite a bit of controversy, though. Some of you might have even heard of it. Members of the uh, legislation began, or legislature, uh, began to walk out in the middle of his prayer, uh, and many after it criticized the prayer uh, and blasted him for his message of intolerance, as they put it. He left the building completely unaware of, of how, he, how the prayer was taken, and he went home that day and spent a quiet afternoon until he started to receive calls from his church secretary in the office. And they had received several calls themselves. In fact, they stopped counting the telephone calls that were coming across from all around the world and over the U.S. and around the world. They stopped counting it when it hit 6,500 calls that came in in less than a week. But the controversy didn't end there. Paul Harvey, and you might know him, I didn't really know who he was too much, but he was a conservative radio host who was known for saying uh, the rest of the story. Well, there you go, Brother Peters, he knows him. He aired the story and the prayer, and he got quite a response, so much so that they had to create a designated phone number for all of the calls in regards to this specific story. Since then, the, the, the radio show's aired multiple times, and it's considered the largest response from any single story ever in his history, in his history of reporting. So, you're wondering, what kind of prayer can garner that sort of response? I'll tell you, after we pray. <laughs> Lord Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity to be here one more time, Lord God. I ask that you use my mouth, Lord, as an instrument, Lord God, to, to get across what you have for me, Lord. I believe you've given something tonight, Lord God, and allow me that opportunity, Lord Jesus, to speak your word to this congregation, Lord Jesus, and allow them to be hearers that soak it in and, and, and get something from it, Lord God. We appreciate it. In Jesus' name, amen. So here is his prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness and seek your direction and guidance. Lord, we know your word says, woe to those that call evil good. But that's exactly what we've done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium and inverted our values. We confess that we have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word and called it moral pluralism. We have worshipped other gods and called it multiculturalism. We have endorsed perversion and called it alternative lifestyles. We have exploited the poor and called it the lottery. We have neglected the needy and called it self-preservation. We have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We have killed the unborn and called it choice. We have shot abortionists and, call, abortionists and call it justifiable. We have neglected to discipline our children and called it building esteem. 
We have abused power and called it political savvy. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it the freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, O God. Search our hearts today, O God. Try us and see if there is wickedness within us. Cleanse us from every sin that uh, that is in us and set us free. Guide and bless these men and women that have sent that have been sent here by the people of Kansas, who have been that have been ordained by you to govern this state. Grant them your wisdom to rule, and may their decisions direct us to the center of your will. I ask it in your, the name of your Son, the Living Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It's quite probably a pretty divisive prayer, I would think. Uh, I agree with it, obviously. I I think most of us do. But most people didn't really agree with it. Like I said, 6,500 calls had come in in a matter of a week of frustration with with this sermon. And I think that's probably because we live in a world and Justin was mentioning it before. Brother Lowe was mentioning it just before coming up. We live in a, a world of uncertainty, of, uh, of compromise. There are no absolutes. And at least that's what the world wants us to think. There are no absolutes. And sin is accepted. And today, holiness seems to be condemned. That's the world we live in. The world is totally backwards. Backwards especially from even what it was 22 years ago from when this prayer was prayed. People are getting worse The prayer was prayed 22 years ago, and in that time, we've seen more moral decay, ethical decay, at a rate of, that's unprecedented. Abortion, homosexuality, greed, promiscuity, all of these things that have been around for a long time are now in our culture considered not just normal, but even good and okay sometimes. People completely look past them. And what I'm getting at with all of that is we as Christians get stuck somewhere in the middle. We can feel like this small, awkward puzzle piece in this giant world puzzle, and we have no idea what we're supposed to do. We don't know what our place is. We don't know how we're supposed to interact. And oftentimes, we don't even know what we're supposed to be doing. So, what seems to happen, at least more often than not, I would say, is we sit silently in the corner. We ignore little things. We shrug off things, and we call it keeping peace. We just shrug off the stuff, and we think to ourselves, I'll make a move when the time is right. When something happens, I'll know. God will tell me. I'll stand up, and that's when, that's when it'll work. But the issue is God likes action. God honors action. God appreciates action. So the issue, the big issue, is if we're not acting, if we're not doing something, If we're not influencing, if we're not moving forward, then we're moving backwards. It's literally, literally impossible to stand still in the world. So if we're not influencing others, if we're not influencing the world, inevitably, others in the world are influencing us. And very seldom, if ever, is that a good thing. But it's impossible just to stand still. We have to be moving forward. So then you ask yourself, Jonathan, so what are we supposed to be doing? Well, at least that's what I asked myself. And I think the best way to figure that out is the Bible. So that's what we're going to use today. We're going to figure it out using the Bible. And we're going to use a few scriptures, and we're going to try to figure out what are we supposed to be doing. Okay? I think 
to figure it out, though, to use that term once again, is we have to go back to the beginning, the very, very beginning, all right? And we have to figure out why we were created. And this is the question-answer portion because I like feedback. Why were we created? Worship, worship, praise, right? We were, worship to pr we were created to praise and worship. That's the answer. So I hope I don't simplify this too much, and maybe I'll get condemned for that. Maybe, maybe I'm simplifying the issue too much, but we were created to worship. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So not to skip to the end of the sermon, because truthfully I barely got started, but to skip to the end of the sermon, we were created to worship. We were created to praise. So that's what I want to talk about. Uh, Psalms, one, uh, Psalms 148, 5 says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. It's what we were created to do. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about praise. And I know I kind of got there in a roundabout way in regards to what we're supposed to be doing. But I want to specifically focus on praise. And I want to break it into six categories. Now, don't already think, oh, wow, he's been talking for like five or ten minutes, and now he's got his six categories, and we're going to be here forever. A few of the categories are really quick, so don't worry, okay? I'm going to break it down into six categories. Praise. And we've done this, and my image can show up. Six categories, you probably worked work through them in school at some point, but who, what, when, where, why, and how. It's kind of an unorthodox way to go about praise, but let's try it for a moment. The who, like I said, that's probably a pretty easy one. Who are we praising? All right, yeah, I don't think we're going to talk in church about praising anybody else. So we're going to talk about praising God. That's who. That took like five seconds. So one category down. We're only doing five more, okay? The next one is what? This one might even be simple, simpler than that. The what is the word standing next to it, praise. So we've got two categories down already. Who we're praising and what we're doing, and that is praising, right? So we're praising God. When and where are the next two categories that I would like to go over. All right? When and where actually kind of go together, so we're going to clump them together here. But Psalm 113.3 says, From the rising of the sun to the, going, the, to the setting of the same, the name of the Lord should be praised. So that gives a pretty clear indication that probably you're praising the Lord all the time. Everywhere on earth, at some point, the sun is rising, the sun is setting everywhere. It's never just fully set because the sun's not really setting, the earth is turning. But the next scripture is Psalm 34.1, and this correlates with that as well. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So this, I think, answers both the when and where. Bless the Lord at all times, right? There you go. His praise shall continuously be on my mouth. If praise is supposed to continuously be on my mouth, then one can only assume that praise should be wherever I am. And if I'm going anywhere, going everywhere on earth, wherever I go, praise should be there. So praise everywhere and praise whenever, every time, all right? So we're already four categories down. But don't get too excited because the last two categories are definitely the most time-consuming categories. All right? So we're going to praise God. Uh, who? God. What? Praise. When? Every? Always where, everywhere, all right? Now let's move on to why. Why, I think, is a bit trickier than the other categories. Because why, why kind of 
needs some personal aspect tied to it a lot of times. There are grand uh, sweeping uh, reasons as to why we should praise God. He created us. We already read those scriptures. He created us to praise him. So that right there in and of itself is a reason to praise him because that's what we were created to do. Most of us don't really necessarily accept that as a legitimate only reason why we should praise God, though. We like more reasons than that. And thankfully, we have a God that's given us plenty more reasons why we should worship him and praise him. And like I said, those reasons should be personal. It should be individualized. Whether it be a miraculous healing that's, that's occurred in your life or, or keeping your life from pain or, or saving you from uh, uh, going down a bad direction in, in, in what you were doing. Or maybe you have success in your life and that's something you want to thank God for, praise God for. Or you have a good family or you've been healthy. Your life, you know, you've got good health. Those are all personal reasons why we might praise God. But there's a lot of other reasons why, too. But I think we need to go back to that after we talk about how a little bit. So we'll skip off a of why for just a moment. But there is one last little why before we move too far from it. And it's kind of a different question on why. It's a different why question. And that is why us. Why does God want my praise? God created a lot of things. Why is my praise so special? And I think to answer that, like I said, we have to move to how. Because I don't think we can fully address why God cares about our praise unless we talk about how we praise. Okay? And the how, moving to how, we're already on the last category. Again, sorry though, this is definitely where I want to actually talk most of the night. So we'll be here for a little bit. Not too long though, don't worry. All right, how ties to all the other categories, okay? Um, we've talked about it before. I've even said it before over the pulpit. So the book of Psalms gives us seven different ways to praise. That's a very easy start on how we praise. The book of Psalms gives us seven ways. Uh, anything from raising your hands, which we've already been doing tonight, to singing, which we've also been doing, um, shouting, some of us might have already been doing that as well, uh, to the most simple of bowing down, that's a version of praise. Playing instruments, we've seen people do that today as well. And then there's another one that's a slightly unorthodox, but it's kind of thrusting your hand forward like that. All right, has anybody ever seen anybody do that? It, it's kind of an old way, but it's mentioned in Psalms specifically because that was something they would do. It was like a representation of them throwing a ja javelin. And it was representing that God is going before them in battle. So that's a form of praise for them. God's protecting them in battle. So that's not something we necessarily do as often nowadays, but it was definitely something they did then. Then the last one, the last of the seven forms that's specifically mentioned in Psalms is that of, uh, I think it's the oddest one. It's kind of, it's hard to explain, but it's almost acting foolish, losing dignity, not caring what everybody else around you is thinking or, or what, what everyone is doing. It, and we as apostolic Pentecostals probably land in this category a whole lot. We like to jump, dance, shout, sing, run, whatever God puts on us to do, that's what we do. And that's kind of all-encompassing in that last category. It's, it's a lack of care of what everyone else is doing, and we're just going to praise God however we can. Those are seven categories that the Bible gives us in Psalms. But there are lots of things outside of that that we can do as, as praise. It's not all-encompassing. All right? And I think to better understand praise and specifically how we praise, we have to go back to the beginning again. We went back to the beginning to address first and foremost what we're created to do. We're created, the what was we were created to praise, right? So now we're going to go back to the creation and we're going to address 
How are we created? Anybody? Question answer. How are we created? Hmm? Image of God. That's what, yes, we were created from dust. That's, that's the, the, the uh, what's physical side of it. But the Bible says we were created in the image of God. That's what I was looking for. And the image of God, when we think of that, it's actually, it's in Genesis 127. It says, God, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created. Um, but the image of God isn't necessarily a physical form. When we think of the word image, we think of something that's set before us. You know, I'm going to go look in the mirror. I'm representing the image of God. God looks like me. But that's not what the image of God means there. If we go back to the original Hebrew, and I'm not going to get too theological with you, but if you go back to the original Hebrew, image of God is imago Dei, all right? Imago Dei. Imago Dei is not a physical, physical appearance. It's not a physical representation of anything. It actually means um, it's, a unique, it's a unique relationship between humanity and God. And it's... Uh, it's not physical. It's more, it's more of a moral, spiritual, and intellectual side. So we're not so much so thinking about a physical side. We're thinking more of a mental, intellectual side. That's what Imago Dei is. And another way to think about it, when we say the word image of God, Imago Dei, you know, that I-M-A-G-E, you know, image, there's another word that has the same etymology that might actually be a better interpretation, if I can say that, than looking at it as an image of God. And that is imagination. The imagination of God. He created us with imagination. No other creation has that. Every animal, every creature, everything that was created was created for a specific purpose. It was created in a specific way to praise God. Whether that be a bird sings, that brings glory to God. A tree grows nice and tall, that brings glory to God. Everything in creation has its order, has its way that is in accordance to his desires, and that's how it was created. But humans were created very differently than that. Obviously, he set us out, and he made us separate than he made the rest of creation, but he did it in a way that gave us imagination. It gave us creativity. It gave us the free will that we often talk about, and we have the ability to do what we want, but that doesn't just stop at doing what we want. It means that we have the ability to create ways to praise God. I think. Because you're probably thinking, what does any of that have to do with praising God? It means that we have the ability. God created us specifically. There, we don't just have those seven ways. We have an imagination, a creativity within us that allows us to praise him in everything that we do. And that's how we accomplish the seemingly impossible task set out for us that I read in 30, uh, Psalms 31 or 34.1. We already read it once, but it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continuously be on my mouth. That seems really, really impossible. How is his praise always going to be on my mouth? How, is it, I don't, how am I going to be breath, blessing him at all times? But if we look further into it, we might be able to come up with an answer to that. Further down in Scripture, all the way down in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul writes this. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I don't know the last time I ate a meal and I thought, wow, I'm worshiping God with this chicken parmesan, whatever it is. I don't necessarily think of it that way, but according to Paul, there is some way that you can worship God as you eat. I think what he's getting at is 
Praise isn't something that's specifically just supposed to be done behind these four walls. It's not something that is just done with our mouth. Praise is done as a lifestyle. Praise is something that we live, not that we just do at certain times. Hebrews 13, 15 says this. Through him, then let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge him. Do not neglect to do good or share what you have, share what you have or for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who give, you, uh, give a good account. Let them do this with joy and not in groaning, for that would be, do, would be no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience Desiring to be to act honorably, honorably, sorry, in all things. Desiring to act honorably in all things. So what he's saying there, the writer is saying, things like respect, honor, obedience, submission, doing good, sharing, just sharing, being a nice person, are ways and acts that bring glory to God. They're forms of praise. I don't have to necessarily jump up in the middle of my classroom or wherever it is. If I'm work, sitting at work, I don't need to be jumping, shouting, and singing to be bringing praise to God in that instance. So I'll take it a step further. Any talent that you have can be used as praise to God. Any talent that you have. If you cook, you can cook for Jesus. Rephrase that. If you cook... You can cook for somebody in church or your friends or family, but do it in the name of Jesus because Jesus is not going to eat what you cook probably. <clears throat> not that he couldn't. He probably could. But if you sew, sew, you know, the scrubby-looking guy sitting next to you in church, whatever, sew up his pants so he doesn't look that way. Probably shouldn't tell him that, though, that, you know, maybe approach it in a nicer way than that you're scrubby-looking. But everything that we do, all the talents that we have, they can be used for God in some way. If you paint, paint the church or paint for somebody, or, or even if you're painting your own house, do it while praising God. But what I'm really, really getting at, at the end of the day, the essence of what I'm getting at is praise is an action, right? All of those seven categories, everything we went over, all of them were actions in some ways. There was nothing that was just sitting down and doing nothing, right? Praise is an action. But that action comes from a specific state of mind, right? Praise is an action, but it comes from a state of mind. It comes from a desire to be pleasing to God and do everything you can for him in life. That's a state of mind that will set you up for a life of praise. See, a life of praise demands a paradigm shift that's, that's not typical to the worldview that you're used to hearing in media and everything that we, we, we get in life today. The world does not set us up for a holy life, for a life that is pleasing to God. The world's not going to do that. We have to set ourselves apart and make ourselves that way. We have to change our thoughts. Right? That sounds really lofty as well, that we have to change our thoughts. But I think it's achievable. The more, and this, it doesn't take research or, or science or studying to, to show this, but the more you think on good things, 
the easier it is to think on good things. But it, it happens in the reverse too. And, and usually we fall into the spiral of the reverse as we get bitter, we get frustrated. We think on those sins, we think on those frustrations, and then we begin to spiral. It's reciprocal. And now we're just focusing on that. And now I'm bitter. Now I'm not just, there wasn't just a bitter thought. Now my life is bitter. Now I'm a frustrated person. Now I'm grumpy. And I have other, other signs of those things in my life. But the good thing is it works in the opposite too. If I focus on the good things, if I think on good things, my life will bring about good things. My thoughts will be good. My actions will be good. And that's not just me saying that. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever, you, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. So I feel like you probably think, wow, we've strayed a little bit from praise a little bit. But we really haven't. We're talking about thoughts. And the reason we're talking about thoughts is because about 10, 12 years ago, there was, I, I don't really specifically remember who taught the, the class, but there was a thing called the paradigm of destiny, all right? The paradigm of destiny. And that is that our thoughts, whatever they are, good, bad, or otherwise, our thoughts become actions, all right? So, like we said, praise is an action. So to have those praise actions we have to have praise thoughts. We have to have things going in our minds, good things going in our minds that create thoughts of praise, right? Because thoughts become actions, but it doesn't stop there. It's a whole paradigm. It's a whole continuum. So you have thoughts that become actions, then actions become habit. Because if you start to think about something, then you do it. Your actions become easier to do as time goes on. Uh, you can make the, the statement that, you know, it might be kind of tough to raise your hand that first time in church. You might be worried about what everybody else is thinking, but once you've done it once, the next time you do it, it's a little bit easier, a little bit easier, and a little bit easier. And eventually, it just becomes a habit for you. And you're not thinking about what everybody else is doing around you. It's become a habit. Those things happen in the negative, too. Our sins can become habitual for us, and we naturally just lean towards those things that We've done, well, this is how we've always done it. It's become a habit. It's become part of my life. So we start that paradigm, like I said. You have your thoughts that become actions, your actions that become habits, and then off of that, your habits become character. People begin to notice your habits. If you're the person that jumps, shouts, and praises in church, people will know you as the person that jumps, shouts, praises in church. If you're the person that walks in grumpy, people will know you for that. And not just people will know you for that, God will know you for that. Your actions become habits, your habits become characteristic of you, your habits become character. But again, it doesn't stop there. There's one last aspect to this paradigm, and that is once your thoughts have become actions, your actions have become habit, your habits become character, your character becomes a part of your destiny. And not just here on earth, your character influences where you'll end up after this life. So people will know you for your character on earth. God will know you for your character on earth, but it'll influence your destiny. And we will end up wherever our character has dictated us we, that we end up. So we'll end up heaven or hell. That's two options for you right there. But it all started with the simple thought. And that's why we have to focus specifically on those thoughts. Because if we th focus on those thoughts, if we focus on those imaginations, remember that image of God, that imagination, if we can focus on that, that power that God's given us through thought, then we have the ability 
to influence our actions and create better actions and create a, a better future for not just us, but those around us. And we'll spiral down for that. We'll spiral up, I suppose, in that scenario into a paradigm where we're ending up in the place that we want to end up. Which is heaven, right? And I would think, at the end of the day, heaven is probably a pretty good why. Why I praise. I would like to go to heaven. Now, I'm not saying that's the only reason why I praise. There's a lot of other reasons why I praise. But one major reason I praise is because I want to go to heaven and I want to live eternally with Jesus. Because I really happen to like Jesus. <laughs> it's true. So I want to I go to heaven with Jesus. That's a big why. And it's not a selfish thing. I want everybody else to go too. Friend, family, don't know you, know you, wherever you're at, Cardinals fan, Cubs fan, wherever you are, I want you to go to heaven, all right? See, God, unlike the world, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The world might be filled with uncertainty and doubt, but there is no uncertainty and doubt in God at all. God is completely, completely certain in all that he does. Uh, the things that were said in the Bible still remain true today. The Bible never changes. The Bible absolutely never changes. See, we were created with that imagination, and humanity chose, chooses, since its inception, since the dawn of time, we typically choose to go the route and use our creativity for the negative, to fill the world with sin. We find new ways to sin every day. And that's what we fill the world with. Instead of the good things, humanity often chooses evil, which bring pain, suffering, and death and leads down that other, other direction, that other paradigm where we don't want to end up. And that leads us to probably the ultimate why. The ultimate why. Because man did all of that stuff 2,000 years ago, Christ gave us the ultimate answer as to why we should praise him. And it wasn't because he created us, which is a great reason, and I appreciate that he created me. I wouldn't be here without that, obviously. But rather, the why is because he loves us so much that he wanted to spend eternity with us, and he, he wanted to ensure that we can spend eternity with him. So despite living in a world that is filled with sin and destruction and horrible stuff, he gave us a way out of it. He gave us a way to be with him. That's why. He came to earth, lived a life, human being, and you guys obviously all know this, but he came to earth, he lived a life as a human being, and he died for us. Every last one of us, he died for us. And that's why I want to live a life of praise. A life that's pleasing to him. And if we can stand, I told you I wouldn't be super long. Like I said, the things God created us for at the dawn of time, they're still in effect today. They didn't change. We were created to praise him. That's what our job is. And from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord should be praised. That is written in stone. It is how it should be. And we often, I truly do, until I was looking into this more, how am I supposed to praise him all the time? I'm living life, going to work, doing all of those things. And it wasn't until the realization that just living up to his word, being obedient, all of those things, God counts that as praise. He sees that as honoring him. He sees that as glory unto him. 
And that's what he created us for. And it's not just he created us for it. He commanded us to give him praise. He commanded us to glorify his name. C.S. Lewis, he said, uh, in God commanding us to glorify him, God is also inviting us to enjoy him. C.S. Lewis said that. We can't expect to enjoy the pleasures of heaven, the pleasures that God gives us on earth, the joy of all of that, if we aren't doing what he created us to do in the first place. So every sermon has to do, has to, ha has to wrap up in some sort of what do I do now, give you actions to take with you. And the obvious action is, is not something that can necessarily be done right here, right now. Obviously, we can come to the front and we can praise and we can worship God. And that is all well and good. And hopefully maybe we'll do that. But the real action has to be taken outside these doors. The real action has to be taken when we walk outside and we start to live a life that's pleasing to God in the mundane, in the everyday. So we praise. We praise Him when we're at work, when we're at school, when we're at home in our quiet places, when nobody else sees us. We live a life that's pleasing to Him. That's how we're going to praise. Every minute, every day, and everything that we do. And if you find yourself thinking, I don't think I can praise God while I'm doing this. It's a legitimate thought. It's not necessarily a good thought. It probably means you're sinning and you probably need to stop doing it. So if you stop and you think, oh, I can't praise God right now. Well, it's probably because you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. And the easiest thing is to stop doing it and start doing something different that you can praise God during. So what I would like to do and we can gather around the front, I suppose. No reason not to. You can gather around the front. But I want to pray a prayer that's not necessarily of repentance. I'm not necessarily talking tonight about anything that you've done wrong. I don't know you. I don't know anything that you've done wrong. What I'm specifically speaking to is what you can do to make yourself right. And that is to live a life of praise, a life of prayer. So I want to pray for a paradigm shift. We have a tendency, not necessarily here at Lighthouse, but as, as apostolic Pentecostals, we like to, um, what's the word I can use? We like to simplify the gospel down into three steps. And, and that sounds good, and there are three very important steps, and I don't mean anything against them. Repentance, you can't get to heaven without it. Baptism in Jesus' name, you can't get to heaven without it. And receiving the Holy Ghost, evidence, and speaking in other tongues. You cannot get to heaven without those things. But our life is a journey. It's a race. Paul talks about running a race. It doesn't just stop at those three steps. The only way that we're going to win that race, to get to the other side, to get the reward that we want, is we live a life of praise. In season, out of season, whenever anybody's watching you, not watching you, that's the way we're going to get to heaven. It doesn't, it's, it's not just good enough that you've received the Holy Spirit in your life. That's excellent. You are on your way. That's really the start of it. Now you are running that race. And that race is praise. That race is worshiping God in everything that you do and everything that you say. And if you think I've simplified it, if you're thinking, well, we do a whole lot more than that. Life is a lot more than just praise. I don't think it is. I really don't. If you're living a life of praise, those other areas that we think of as, as important, and they are, outreach, reaching those who are lost, loving our neighbor, all of those things, if we're living a life of praise, that is naturally going to happen. If you are living a life of praise, if you're separate from the world, if, the, if you're doing that, 
your coworkers, the people you interact with, they're going to recognize that. Brother Jared, when you preached uh, a few weeks ago or a month ago, you had pre- you'd spoke about how just naturally somebody noticed a difference in you. That's how it should be. That's how we should know. And that's not to say don't spark a conversation. Definitely do that. And that's going to give praise to God in and of itself. So what I want to pray for, if we can all bow our heads, close our eyes, I want to pray for that paradigm shift. I want to pray that God would help our thoughts always be on Him, that God would help us to to focus on Him and not just talk about a life, not just act like it when we're in church and not not just... pretend for lack of better words but when we're in the quiet places when we're when we're living life normally that we live a life that's a praise to God that that brings glory to his name that's worship that's that's what he desires for us to see or to have in his life Lord Jesus I worship you Lord God Lord I want to live a life that's pleasing